This is Me, Myself and Disaster, the show all about disasters with a human focus. From hurricanes to humanitarian issues, we journey across fault lines to explore trends in disaster preparedness, response and recovery. Over to you, Josh and Andrew. Hello and welcome back to Me, Myself and Disaster, the show where we talk all things disaster with a human focus. It's almost three years to the day since the Black Summer bushfires. The fires were described as apocalyptic and exceeded the worst case scenarios developed by those planning the fire response. But what's happening now? Today, we're heading to the New South Wales South Coast to visit a resident who is building back better. Andrew, who's joining us on the show today? Josh, we're on the way to Lake Conjola to meet with Greg Webb, whose house was destroyed in the bushfires on New Year's Eve in 2019, along with 88 other properties. Many residents have left after the fires, but Greg is rebuilding and building back better with a Fortis-aligned house. The house is designed to withstand future bushfires, and building the new home has been a big part of Greg's recovery journey. We'll be asking Greg about the impact of the fires, how his house is both resilient and sustainable, and how, as a survivor, he's managed to negotiate the many challenges in disaster recovery. We'll also be asking Greg about the many highs and lows in his journey and talking all things mental health, not to mention Greg's idea around post-traumatic growth. Let's hit the road and speak with Greg Webb in Lake Conjola. We're here on site today in the great outdoors in Lake Conjola on the New South Wales South Coast with Greg Webb. Welcome to the show, Webby. Glad to be here, Andrew. On New Year's Eve in 2019, this was a very different place. Can you take us through the days leading up to the fire and what happened here in Lake Conjola on New Year's Eve? Yeah, it was, it's, um, it's quite a journey, Andrew. I, we were very aware of the Currawin bushfires that had been burning for, I think, oh, I can't remember the exact amount of days, but it was, it was total news. It was right on our back doorstep. Everyone was conscious of it. I was constantly looking out for embers and burning embers as it approached, as it got closer and closer. Never thought I'd be in the situation we ended up in New Year's Eve at 10.30 on that uh, fateful morning when in um, an hour and a half to two hours, our whole life changed and we lost everything except what I was standing in and my old work van and a carload of tools. It's uh, quite amazing journey from there to here, Andrew, and it's been, um, uh, words sometimes, I still get a bit choked up about it, thinking about it and talking about it, so, um, but I need to talk about it. It's been a great um, release for me to be able to be involved in projects like this, you know, podcasts, I think it's very important people understand not to become complacent. We're covered in water at the moment. And now's the time to be really conscious of drought, bushfire resilient, disaster resilience and, and being aware of it now when we're so comfortable because that, back then three years ago, I looked behind me, over here to the left of you, Andrew, that was at 400 metres of fire, 140 feet high, just bearing down on me and I'm looking at it with a guardian hose going, you've got to be kidding me. And I ran. And, and when you were here, so the noise, I guess, everyone sort of says the noise of the fire burning through the gum trees is the first thing they sort of hear. Was that kind of what it was like for you when the noise, you could hear it coming and then some people describe it like a train coming. Was it kind of like that for you? It's like the, the, um, 
the description I remember, I get and remember is once I was involved in Formula One down in Melbourne, and I remember standing over the top of the pits looking at a Formula One car taking off and the snap when they changed gear. Snap, snap, when they're going through yeah. the gearbox. When that fire came through here, that's all you heard, this, mm. this incredible snapping and burning and the, the volume went from, um, you know, quite an audible sound to the noise and the horrendous environment around you from the wind and the, and the eucalypts just exploding. Wow. And that's that snap that hits you. And it was 38 degrees at 10.30 in the morning. It went to 50 degrees in a matter of minutes. Wow. Yeah. Just like when you open an oven of a – when you're cooking, you open an oven, you go, whoa, you get that rush of heat. That's what it was. It was just – you just can't describe it. Yeah. I I just want to hone in on that fact I think that was really interesting. And I know we were talking about it, Webby, just as we were kind of walking around the property and the house when we got here this morning was – you know, that, that those actual actions you took on a day, you just said there where, you know, you saw that 400 metres of that flame front and you're standing there with the garden hose. <laughs> it must have been pretty scary going, oh, I think I'm a little bit underprepared for this one, <laughs> for this fight, David and Goliath. But for, for you in terms of, can you take us through, because I just, I, I can't even fathom in my head just some of the, the things that you like the decisions you had to make on the day, like you were just telling me about how, you know, you were sitting down the, uh, in the study and you looked over and you saw the flames, uh, uh, you know, thinking what's going on here to, you know, to your wife trying to get out of the property and not being able to get – can you take us through through that story for the, for the listeners? Yeah, well, it was, it was, as I say, 10 o'clock. I just made a coffee and my wife said to me, aren't you going to go and finish that pergola down at Lake Tabowry? I said, no, I'm going to stay here and just watch the fire. It was that comfortable. Mm. We had a, a bit of a plan, you know. I'd always – I'd cleared everything away from the house. I made sure there was no timber or or firewood stacked up near yep. the house and my wife had a evacuation bag. I thought I had an evacuation bag till it burnt to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to grab it. But um, the the being, being prepared for it mm. – totally underestimated it and all the education and all the 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 warnings you go yeah we'll be right you know it's not i don't think it's going to happen to us i'll just keep an eye on it we'll be fine i've got four garden hoses around the place i've cleared my gutters i've done everything forgetting i've got a 60 year old fibro house with timber fascist external timber Mm. architraves Gaps all through the roof, gaps everywhere where you learn that gaps, embers just charge through those gaps. Um, To the point where I was sitting there in my office looking across the lake and I saw a flash of flames and went, hang on, and I checked the, the RFS app for fires near us, nothing, but it had all collapsed. Communications had all collapsed, you know, there was nothing. It looked like there was no fire anywhere near me. Oh. And this is all, this is no one's fault. Mm. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not a blamer. It's just what happens at the time and it's all evolved and it's gotten better now. But to sit there 15 minutes later being full firefighting mode where my wife is trying to scape up the driveway, she turns, comes back four minutes later tears. I can't get out. The whole road's light at the top of the road. And I then grab her out of the car and put her under the house Mm. that's got an egress door. And I go, just stay here. 
don't let that door into the rumpus room open. But if it gets bad in here, get out through the egress door on the eastern side of the house. And I said, and I'm going to come and try and fight the fire. Mate, you know, visions of grandeur, no Mm. way... Is I was anywhere near prepared for what was about to happen, but it's it's been an incredible education for me moving forward, and that's the now the exciting part of uh, rebuilding. So you're you're on a on a very exciting journey. Just I mean, just the five ten minutes conversation that we've had with you has been fascinating and even eye-opening for Andrew and myself but obviously just getting from that point of having to put your wife underneath a house to now where you are today and we're sitting here at a table talking to you how did you get to that point you know what does what, what was your journey getting to that point of going I've lost everything I have the shirt on my back I literally had to come face to face with the, the decision or the thought of, am I actually going to live through this experience to now, you know, this, this sense of enlightenment and you're on this fascinating journey. Like, how did you get there? From the very early days after, the first two or three days afterwards, I, um, I was just shell-shocked. You know, you, you, you're sitting having a cup of coffee and wandering around or whilst doing some washing and things in the morning. Three days later, you lost everything. We're down in a friend's house, you know, seven or eight blocks away, sitting there just trying to take it in, what's happened to you, what, mm. what you've lost, what you've... And the thing that really I underestimated wasn't so much losing all the physical stuff in life, yeah. which is, you know, you... you nearly learned to accept is that you could quite easily have lost your own life, our own life. You know, that was the thing that I – when I was standing up on that roof trying to hose down the garage and I suddenly realised the roof was melting my boots and melting the hose and sizzling, that's bloody dangerous. You know, that's life-threatening stuff. Mm. Now, to go from there to here, it's been an amazing journey of crests and troughs. The biggest thing that I realised – I'm quite proactive. I'm a half-glass-full type of guy. What I realised was the total um, mental pressure of losing everything, yep. trying to re-establish our life mm. and understanding that PTSD had actually affected me yep. and and I could see people around us were extremely affected by it. There was a, an excellent... Situation four days later, they set up a uh, five days later, a week later, they set up a recovery hub at Aladulla. And I'm very proactive, and I'd go in there every day and meet new people, understand the system, welcome volunteers were trying to to support you and give you things. Each time I'd go in there, there'd be people standing outside the recovery hub, arms folded, especially Australian males. Mm. Arms folded, going, bloody bureaucracy. Yeah, they just want too many forms. They should just, you know, come and help us and stuff. People get threatened by things they don't understand. And I watched grown men turn around and walk away. And they were the people I was concerned about. They were the mm. people who were falling through the cracks. Yeah. And it was, and I, I can understand my weaknesses. I, I knew I was grieving and I didn't really quite understand it at the time what I was going through, but to watch people falling through the cracks who were either 
didn't know how to use a phone properly, didn't know how to fill out a form, can't, you know, aren't clever at communicating, aren't clever at asking questions. To a lot of us males, women are fantastic. Mm. I look at the mental health system and, you know, to all the all those fabulous Janice and Bronwyn all from Shoalhaven Mental Health, my introduction to them, they've supported and helped me so much through mental health. I'm choking up about it, mm. thinking about it. Yeah. But to watch grown men turn around and fall through the cracks, that really concerned me. That really worried yep. me. And I, I'm able to gain from that, you know, because I talk and communicate. It, it works quite well for me. But, Josh, that story of to where I am today, where I'm going through, and I've described it, this post-traumatic growth. Yeah. It's quite exciting for me yeah. to be at my age, six, seven years of age, to be building my house for my, my two older boys and my two grandbabies and family and friends, and I can actually rebuild it mm. and rebuild it properly with, so that the next time it happens, and it will happen, yeah. three years away we could be in exactly the same thing, mm. I can lock it up and flee or I can lock it up, stay inside and know 99.9% what I'm building, I'll be safe or I can go and help other people. Yeah. You know, but this this journey to here, it's now, it sounds weird and I've got to be careful because there's people who do suffer and I still suffer from it. Yeah. PTSD and the and losing everything, but it's quite exciting for me now to be, have this opportunity to do it. And I just think really interested in terms of the PTSD and, and thinking about that, I guess, initial recovery period. What, for those listeners who might have gone through something similar, I mean, we've had plenty of disasters in this, in this year. It's been, people have had, think, been through a very stressful time. And I think as we come to the end of the year, there's that sense of burnout. Everyone's exhausted after not only fires, floods, COVID, just, just a change in our life. What are some of the symptoms, I guess, or sort of experiences you went through in terms of your journey initially? And how did you feel for that first 12 months? What was it sort of like, I guess, that first period as you sort of worked out what had happened and what the next steps were? The, one of the, the, the thing that really stands out to me in that first 12 months is how resilient I thought I had to become mm. to please everyone around me that was trying to help me. What I didn't realise, and I and um, great little story is that I'd go in and get a cup of coffee in town, and it's six or eight months after, and the person behind the counter would say, "Well, Webby, how's it going? Have you started building yet?" And I'd go, "Oh, oh, it's it's not that. It's you know, I'm I've got to redesign the hat." And I suddenly realised that everyone wanting to make sure I was looked after. Mm asked me the questions about my house and I, I eventually realised that all they wanted to hear me say was, yeah, no, it's all good, it's racing forward. And they go, oh, fantastic. That's, Do you have sugar with your coffee? <laughs> so it was, it was the pressure I felt myself yeah. to, to solve my problem. Mm. That was the major mental battle that I had moving forward. Until it got to the stage where, thankfully, we didn't have to move anymore. We had five moves in our first 12 months and we got permanent accommodation and I was able to look at people in the eye and go, it's going fantastic. You know, I'm going to be building all these new materials yeah. and I'm going this, I'm going that. People were happy. 
and it took the pressure off me feeling I had to be responsible back to them because they cared for us yeah. as a community. Yeah. It's um it's a great it's as I say I keep I keep finding all these, these little nuggets everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I do, Josh, I do. But I it's do. even I think when we were talking about before it, it was you were even saying that it was a like the anxiety was so much, it was almost a, a whole of body thing. Like you were saying that even your posture changed. Like you would, you know, when that question was asked of you, you would almost step back. And I you did, would, yeah. yes. And, I, and this is a great point yeah. to relate. I, and it's only this morning you asking me yeah. that even when I was recalling the story to you earlier, yeah. I stepped back yeah. when I was talking about that. Yeah. And people would ask and I'd go, oh, and I'd fold my arms, I'd close off and I was trying to think on, on the ground. As soon as I realised I didn't have to yeah. pretend anymore and yeah. I could just go, yeah, it's moving ahead as best as it could yeah. and I'm enjoying it. And like I say, I've got to be careful saying that because there's a lot of people who are, are, are really suffering, you know, mm. and they still will and they will for the rest of their life. I will. I had all my school reports from when I went to kindergarten to yeah. when I left school. I had my apprenticeship awards. I had my parents' wedding photos. Yeah. I had my boy's first lock of hair from his first haircut. You know, there's stuff you can never get back. They're material, but they're so – the house isn't that important. We're rebuilding that. Yes. Yeah. The other stuff, people suffer that for years to come forever. I'm a bit more – pragmatic about it and I've learned to replace those issues and things realizing you know material possessions aren't important it's um it's our mental health it's our it's our the, it's I feel I'm responsible back to the community the charities who were incredible the Red Cross and Vinnies it's my responsibility to be accountable to rebuild so I never have to be helped again. Yeah. And I find that really, you know, that's my responsibility back to you people and you guys to make sure I'm not included in one being need to be rescued like we were so wonderfully rescued by everybody at the time, you know. And my heart goes out to the people in the floods and disasters who... who um, I can rebuild and build something that won't burn again. A flooded area, people rebuild mm. and they can't stop the water. That that really that really worries me. It upsets me. That's a challenge and a lot of people are facing that now, I think. Yeah. Um, I wanted to sort of touch on, this is an amazing block. We're sitting here in Gorgeous. Lake Conjola on the south coast of New South Wales in Australia looking out over... Well, Lake Conjola. <laughs> I think it's going to be our new office. <laughs> and it's pretty impressive. We are, there's about a couple of rows of house down the hill from us, and then you can see there's some large gum trees, and then there's just miles and miles of water and some nice hills behind that. But to get to your property here, down through a little narrow driveway, fairly steep into this block, but amazing landscape. This has been in your family for some time, this block, hasn't it? This has been mm. sort of a, a generational house. Mm. Take us yeah. through what it was like and how this first started. What, what was here before? Before the fire, my, my um, bef- before the fire, it was a, a little two-bedroom fibro house with a rumpus room underneath, and a, that um, my uncle Frank Lambert, Sonny, as he was called, um, he built. And I remember as a nine-year-old boy, my, f- my father helping Uncle Frank and me 
sitting there with a they've got wheelbarrows and they've dragged a concrete truck down through the bush and and um, I'm saying I want to help I want to get out of the way get out of the way and they're moving <laughs> concrete and uh, it's been a generational house that my uncle and his family grew up with and then we it came into our direct family some uh, thirty five. Close to forty years ago now, and um, it's been a very important part of house for me and our boys, and friends and family. It wasn't big and fancy. It wasn't. It was just very very lino. You know, asbestos everywhere. <laughs> asbestos everywhere. But um, and that's why I've recreated it in the bones of the old house, yeah. and I've kept the, those. That lovely five degrees skillion roof design in the house, but made some features in it that that are important to me, you know. And uh, it'll never, it'll never uh, smell like the old house. Mm. And my boys used to come in and they'd open the door when we used to come down here, and they go, "Oh, the conjola smell." Yeah. <laughs> you know, isn't that funny? You, like, I mean, yes, it's Andrew, like that you must holiday have, house smell. Yeah, like it's a holiday <laughs> house smell, and that's important. Yeah, unfortunately. In the last three years, or the first 12 months, that smell really hit home when we get the – someone would offer us their house and we go in, open up a cutlery drawer, a different smell, linen cup, a different smell. That wow. smell so – that oral sense, sensory perception is so mm. huge. I never thought I had it until you lose everything. Yeah. You know, and it's and I can still smell the old house. I can never have it again. But this will have a new smell. My yeah. grandbabies will, yeah, have the conjola smells. You know, the new house that really hit home for me because I think when we were having the conversation earlier today, you know, we were talking about, oh, you know, you really need to look at, you know, should we be building in some of these areas? And we're having a really interesting conversation, going, okay, well, if you can have the engineering, you know, mechanisms and you can mitigate the rest, you know, the risk, let's go for it. Like we can build in these areas but there's also this really hard conversation where you kind of do have to have a conversation and go you know in some floodplains you go maybe it's just not even possible with all of our engineering know-how and all our technology we just can't build properties but I mean from from my point of view being in the industry I always think of it from a really practical point of view and we were only having a coffee uh, with a friend of ours and they were talking to us about remembering that disasters are about not only the head but also the heart. And I think when you were talking about all those memories, it just proved to me how difficult some of these conversations in some of these areas are going to be because it's not just a house for some yeah, people. It's, right. it's yeah, the it's memories home. for you, Webby, it's home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the important part. That's why I've persisted in three years down the track. Mm. People still ask me, why have you got your yeah. bloody house finished? Um <laughs> It's it's the memories that drive you. It's the the future memories that aren't here yet, yeah. you know. And I, funnily enough, we put some structural steel up down the down the bottom there, and it's an overhang for the walkway. And I looked up at it, and I said to um, Mrs. Webby, I said, um, I'm going to put a swing on there for Cora and Hunter. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I went, this is going to be their swing area off it. So, you know, those memories, those those memories to be 
are coming back to me now and they they will they yeah. will but um uh yeah it's um it never ceased to amaze me what I've learned and and the journey moving forward but a very man man a man I'm I'm so blessed to have the wherewithal to be able to move forward with it so many people have just gone it's all too hard. Mm. You know, you drive past plenty of empty blocks of land. Yeah. 105 homes were lost in this area and people have just gone, it's too hard to rebuild on this. You know, yep. we've lost our memories, lost our our homes, our possessions. We don't want to go back there. Yeah. And I get that. I get that. Yeah. For those who are, I mean, we're on the drive in this morning, we saw plenty of blocks. There's some construction underway. There's some empty blocks that have been bulldozed that are now just a block of empty land with a few sort of bit of rubble left on there. For those that are rebuilding, is there a mix of people just building the stock home out of the GJ Gardener catalogue? Is there people who are building similar sort of resilient homes or is there a mix or what, what are people generally doing here? It's a... It's... Uh, I'll be a little bit careful about how I, how I word this. Mm. Um... I'm I'm of the um, in the feeling or the impression that you need to build um, resiliently, and the it's an evolving process, and our our current building standards are evolving, and people look at those as being roadblocks, but it's all in our safety. It's all it's all f- f- for us. Um, I feel the the project homes have still been pushed and moved forward, but I think they have a bit of responsibility to get more educated to building, and I'm sure they are. Mm. If I was to talk to some of the guys, so there's probably people on the other end of this this podcast going, "Well, we, you know, we're building that. We're putting in, you know, Bell Twenty Nine Resilience and yeah. Bell Forty Resilience in it." I had a huge amount of trouble two years ago finding a kit home or a building company that wanted to build to Bell Flame Zone that I mm. have to build to. Yeah. And on the day, I still go, every house that got lost needed to be built to a fairly high level of, of yeah. protection. So um, I'm building to Bell Flame Zone. I'm doing so much that's revolves around the Fortis House principle. Our house is a Fortis House aligned principle that's got designs in it that that will make our house extremely resilient mm. through the um, through materials that just don't burn. You know, as yeah. I said, I stood here for three months looking at our house as a crumpled, burnt mess until the state and federal government fabulously came and cleared it all for me. Um, and I didn't mind waiting for that. It was 70 grand I didn't have to spend myself. Um, and I simply said, I'm going to build a house. When that three months and I was looking at those those materials, the things that didn't burn were the steel, the bricks and the concrete. Mm. So that's what I'm building. I'm building yeah. a steel, aerated, block concrete house that eventually, as I was talking to you guys earlier, in 100 years' time will literally be able to be deconstructed, Amazing. recycled yeah. and put and produce new materials. It whether the person that demolishes it will put it back in the landfill, but it's got the full capability because it's bolted and screwed together everywhere. 
you can take the whole thing apart. Yeah. All my claddings, all my internal linings, it's not chip rock and, and grout and tiles that have got to be demolished. It'll be – except for the floor's the only thing that will have to be broken up. Yeah. But 90% of the house can be deconstructed mm. physically and manually and – Recycled, yeah, and I and and is that through good design or is that just through luck that's worked out that way? I think the two go hand in hand. Resilience, yeah. materials, and sustainable materials can go hand in hand. It can work really, really well together. So, how did you come across for us? Because many of our listeners would know we've had James Davidson on the podcast before. One of the yeah, yeah great, great designers, one, great one of one of the yeah. key minds uh, behind the Fortis House principle and and fascinating episode. If people want to go back and listen to that, they can always go back through the catalogue. But for you, Webby. How, like, how did that journey come around from you going, okay, I've got to rebuild my house. Obviously, you start to have this enlightenment of going, okay, well, I want to do, I want to, you know, bow flame. I'm going to go on this journey. Where was the intersection for you with some of the Fortis principles? Um, how I got directly involved with Fortis House principles is James and, and at the time, the Bushfire Building Council of Australia. It's um, Kate Cotter and Loretta Durango from there. It's now the Resilience Council of Australia um, with their new rebranding I was one of the community that they reached out to Mm. and because I had reached out to the mental health Shoalhaven Mental Health I'd questioned through Colin Wood the Head of Development and Planning at at Shoalhaven everything I was doing and questioning what I needed to do about rebuilding my house Um, one of the team from Shoalhaven said, oh, there's a project, it's a collaboration between the, the Bushfire Building Council of Australia, Shoalhaven City Council and NRMA, they're putting this community project together, they want feedback on on building, you know, disaster resilient homes. Mm. And I got involved in Zoom meetings and things just because... I talk a lot. It's so hard to find, Webby. <laughs> so, and because of that, because of my enthusiasm, because of my questioning, yeah, I love to learn. Yeah, you know, I'm not, and I, and I, as I said to you guys earlier, I love to question. You know, as Einstein said, you do the same thing a million times, you expect a different outcome. So. It was a natural progression mm. and because I'm a bit outspoken and I'd already produced this concept and I talked differently, I think that's how I got more and more involved yeah. in it. And then I saw the fabulous way that the Fortis principle that Kate and, and James and Colin Wood from Shoalhaven City Council were collaborating on this Fortis House principle that I saw all my research was coming together like a Y yeah. intersection and we came together and I went, you know, it's confirming that I'm doing the right thing. And then, yeah. then, and then it, I got excited about it and went, gosh, if I'd had this Fortis manual two years ago, mm. I wouldn't have had to put all the work in. It would have all been there because the Fortis principle is all modular design, build off site. It's got to be the way of building for the yeah. future yep. in these areas. Definitely. You know, and, and – a modular footprint that you can add to so we can get back into our houses quicker. We're not waiting three years to mm. do it all by yourself. Yeah, It's a Fortis principle, has floor plans, has layouts, has engineering. It's it's just a wonderful, wonderful tool to, to move forward with. 
And, and before we dig into some of the detail of the house, I want to touch on the insurance. So NRA Insurance doing some pretty cool things in this space. How does this concept here, I mean, we're literally metres from the National Park. I can see the large tree within metres of metres. Oh, the friendly garden gnome is right there as well. So, But in terms of your house is right on the flame zone, and how does, I guess, firstly, how did insurance work for you? You had insurance here um, that covered some of the rebuild but not all. And what difference is it making for you if you've gone down that path yet in terms of paying your premiums with a more resilient home compared to if you just built uh, another fibro, fibro shack here? Yeah, I... I I haven't gone down the road of needing to reef insurance, you know, recover the insurance side yep. of it. Um, at the time, and it's a it's a bit of a um, uh, it's interesting, but I was with Westpac Insurance, and they were incredible. You know, they were just fantastic. We they didn't question anything. They just came in. They were unbelievable. Now that the Fortis House principle is, has been has evolved, and our house is more a bespoke design that's Fortis aligned. It'll get all the ticks of approval for Fortis design. Insurance should not, and I'm, you know, I've been reassured that insurance will not be a problem for our house because it just. Mm. Will not burn. There's yeah. nothing in there that'll burn. Yep. You know, and the the two things that you've got to be really careful of when you're designing and building a house is non-combustible materials yep. and l- very limited ember attack. So all the fine spaces, this house will be so sealed up, yep. embers won't be able to get in. Not to say, and it's a as for Furphy, people have quite often said. Oh, I've seen steel houses burn. You see steel houses burn when fires get inside. Yep. Once a fire is inside a house, I don't care what it's built out of, it will burn to the ground. Yeah. Concrete, steel, because it's all the, it's all the lounges, the carpets, the, the cabinetry, it's your clothes, it's your TVs. Man, I would stand outside and look at the TV. It burned for 45 minutes. Oh. A big, you know, yeah. big TV sitting there. I'm going, man. And, you know, you, you stop a flame or an ember getting into a house, you've got your 70, 80% wow. got the situation licked. Yeah. So building resiliently, taking the Fortis principle and applying it to an existing house, that's the next phase we have to get to. Yeah, we've got to We've got to get people looking at not just protecting their house keeping the gutters clear and keeping keeping gardens away from houses. Yeah. We've got to take them through the process. What do I got to do to make my house that's currently sitting there that's 40 years old yeah. fire or disaster resilient? Yeah. What do I have to do? Yeah. That's a whole that's another story. I was about that's, to say, it almost feels like that's a frontier that we haven't kind of gone to yet, yeah, the whole retrofitting yeah, yeah. kind of aspect. I know there's little bits and pieces out there, but yeah, almost going down a similar line, almost like a Fortis principle where, you know, for people who have already got that property, just a, a manual that they can go to and say, here's my catalogue of everything I can do to make my house disaster resilient. But for you, Webby, in terms of if you had to say, like, what a like because there's a lot that goes into building and in the engineering and the technical stuff. But if you had to say for your property and in terms of its resilience, what would you say are like those three key principles that you must, you must think of? And I think you were talking about them, obviously the Ember attack, but what are those three principles that are so important for you in this property that will basically either A, save your life one day, or two, will save the property if you decide to lock up and leave? 
Um, well, non-combustible materials yep. for a start. Yeah, you know, you've and, and I, it's very hard for people to come away from, and I, and I've, again, I'll be careful saying this, but your block-style house. Mm. You know, your it, it's a to make it to make it resilient, and sustainable. It is a slightly more expensive process, but you've got to sacrifice the design of the house yeah. and the features in the house. Like our the the ensuite off our bedroom, the house cost me a lot of money to build above and beyond my insurance. But mm. you've got to you've got to uh, um, compromise yeah. to get the the house that's going to serve the needs and. Pre- protect you. So the three points that actually really stand out to me is that every single product that I'm using in the external side of the house yeah. is non-combustible. Yeah. I'm not even using – even my building wrap isn't a fossil fuel building wrap. Yeah. Every – nearly every commercial building wrap that you see everyone build their houses with, yeah. you're sarking. Put a flame near it and you just go, poof. Yeah. Okay, then. So that's been something I'm really determined with. The Ember Attack, and as much as you say it isn't, you know, not talk about that, that's a that's one of the most important yeah. keys to saving your house. You can have a timber house if you can stop embers getting into the roof space, getting into the house, getting behind your doors, getting into your timber windows. Yeah. You can survive a bushfire, yeah. You know, but you have to really retrofit your house correctly to yeah. do that. So, ember attack is, is really important. Um, the 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 education in understanding what will happen on the day mm. when there's a bushfire, when you have fifteen minutes for your life to change. Yeah, the education there. In preparing your area for your evacuation, your product, put a fire safe in the bottom of your house mm. and stick all your negatives and all your awards and all your, you know, your kids' first tooth. Put them in, put them in there. Yeah. Be very wet. But be educated into what you need to do on that day because I can tell you, you have no idea what happens when you're faced in that situation. Yeah. So education, both personally and from a construction point of view, is my other key point to re-establishing it and people building now. You know, like the people who have bought the empty blocks of land that got burnt, the people didn't have the 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 fortitude to go and I understand that I understand there's empty blocks of people have sold and moved on they don't want to face it again because it's a major task building these days is a major task and I've got to stand up for the local council a lot of people want to just as a throwaway statement want to blame the council for building stuff oh they're making me build it to this they're making me build to that the council don't make you build the Australian building standards do the council are just box tickers Mm. You know, the council had been wonderful to me. I walk in with a smile and mm. no aggression yeah. and with a question and with clear communication. You've, you've, 
got to just be educated in what you need to build. And this is where it's my responsibility to educate the builders, to educate architects, to educate yeah. people from what I've learned. Yeah. And I'm a hands-on guy. Yeah. To bringing all this to the surface in our disaster-prone areas, yeah. you know. There's – the frame is up at the moment on your property here. There's some water tanks in and there's a few slabs around. So we're sort of, what, halfway through, would you say, in terms of construction or somewhere close well, to Well, this – funnily enough, um, I would put this the 30% position. Okay. Still a while to go. The hardest – the hardest yeah. position. Yeah. Yeah. You know, getting out of the ground. We've got four levels. Yeah. From my big pads down the front, my big legs, my giant <laughs> webby legs, spider legs. While, while we're there, tell us about it because I think, I think that was fascinating because to me, I didn't realise how much um, – how can I say? I didn't realise how much mental healing – could be wrapped up in a building because for me I got that when you said to me Josh these legs are there and, and they're like this because for me it's standing ready for the next one I'm ready come at I'm me I'm ready and for yeah. me it was almost like to me that's almost like a big almost healing moment for you going you know what I will be prepared next time it comes in yeah. and they, these are the, just for our listener these are the four legs that kind of I guess support the property from the front come with the front balcony big steel kind of girders I guess into the earth how would you describe them is that kind of a good description yeah they're more of a they're more of a um a little man statement, I think. <laughs> There's nothing engineering about them. <laughs> no, no, I just wanted something big that I could show off. <laughs> um, they're, um, they're more of a, I, you know, I love architecture. Yeah. I'm not very clever at it. I love architecture. I, um, um, people and many people have said, why didn't you just build straight legs? I said, why did you put these big sloping legs at the front? One, because... I can. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm allowed to. I'm 67. I can make my own decisions. Damn straight you will. <laughs> um, I'm the one that's got to carry the can because they're expensive. But um, it's very important for me to rebuild the house with those legs out the front standing there. And 30 years ago, I've, I've done a lot of um, – riding down the Victorian high country. I love horses and riding down there. And the family, the Lovick family, good on you, Charlie and the team, um, they did the Man for Snow River movie and there's a classic scene of Tom Burlinson on a horse mm. going down a hill and he's charged back in his saddle and the horse is charged back in the saddle. And I've ridden down that hill, or not so much ridden down, I've stood on that hill because it's too bloody steep for me. But... And I remember seeing the photo of me standing there, pretending I was on a horse, and I'm right back, just like my giant legs are on this hill. So I've got connections Love everywhere. It. I get very, very, all these mind pictures in my head when I go about can, and do stuff. Can I just say as well, like I think a lot of people, when they think about, you know, engineering and, you know, like people here, and, and obviously we'll have videos and photos and everything to support this episode, but no doubt someone listening to this who hasn't seen that is thinking, oh, concrete and oh steel but we've seen the plans this is gorgeous like this is an architectural jewel that you're building here like resilience can be beautiful can't it Webby? it can yeah. it can it's great i um i had a conversation with the local um steel manufacturer allstain warren and uh from allstain's sheet metal and fabrication they've done all the structural steel work for it and everyone was a bit amazed when i said i don't want it 
buffed and painted. I want to, I'm going to keep all the rusted steel so when you walk in the house, the whole windows are going to be framed in rusted steel. Mm. And they said, aren't you going to cover it? I said, no, that's all the story. And I yeah. said, and I want Water and his team, I want the, pen, the chalk marks on it. I want, I want a story tied up with it. Yep. I want everyone to be a part of it. Yeah. And um, I said, it's, it's really important that I see handwriting on something that's a measurement, you know, like 3.85 metres, you yep. know, and, or 38.50 or something on it because that's part of the story. Yep. My ground floor slab, Mrs. Webby Walk said to me, Aren't we going to grind the slab? I said, no. <laughs> I want the burn marks in it. Yeah. I said, we're going to put a two-pot epoxy mix over it. I'm going to gurney it. And I said, I want the plastic that's melted in. I want to see where my desk was. I want to see the burn marks in that because that's a story. Yeah. You know, and that keeps, that keeps reinforcing to me that I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to kill me and it's going to educate me and yeah. it's going to make me stronger and um, – it's it's a it's a good story, I, yeah. I think. Well, I think. I, I think it plays into all this conversation we're having this morning as well around like post post traumatic growth. growth. Like I think this My is new I think this is fa- fascinating. This conversation uh, with you about this because you know this this building for you is your growth. It's it's for you coming out. It's you know the phoenix out of the flame, yeah. rising from the ashes type of thing. But I I just thought it was fascinating. Even you saying you know I want to finish the last piece of the house with my mates. I want them to come over and I want my mates to be part of it. They're going to come and help me finish it off. I just even like to me again that that healing moment out of something that's so traumatic. This process that you're finding a space to heal and and learn from your story. You know that's that's such an important part. Because it's such a slow process, mm. at the time, like we even had a GoFundMe. My boys set up a GoFundMe uh, project, which was amazing, and all our friends and and everyone wanted to help. And until this stage, no one has really been able to. Oh, well, they have. You know, people have done a lot. But there's still a whole heap of friends and family that still want to come down, yeah. spend a day, a weekend, and that's – that's so important to yep. me to make a, an experience out of it. So everyone's got a part. Everyone's enjoyed it over the last 50, 60 years. And a mm. lot of those people have grown up and they've got their own kids and grandkids and things. And it's very important they have a, a part of that and get involved in that so they can contribute to what it offered them before and yeah. what it's going to offer us all again in the future. Yeah. You know, so um, again – the people concerned for us to have our house built, yeah. our family and friends and the, and the girl in the coffee shop, they, they're the ones that will benefit from being a part of it and come down for a weekend and give me a hand to do yeah. this, you know. And uh, I think it's a bloody great story. Oh, I think it's an awesome <laughs> story. I almost feel like we're part of the Webby family after being oh, – I'm, I'm compelled oh. to come and help and be part of that day because I, I just think we get, we get so caught up on the fire – and what happened on the day, and quite often we don't tell the stories one year, two years, three years down the track because that's yeah. the thing. Recovery is a long journey, right? It is. It is. And and some people will never recover mm. and some people have moved on and some people don't want to come back here. Yep. And, uh, but it's, um, it's a continuing journey. It is definitely a continuing journey, and it's a, it's an education, and um, it's I just find it bloody exciting. Yeah. I love it. 
I just I think it's it's great. I'm very I'm very blessed and and uh, to have the opportunity to to rebuild it, and especially at my age to be able to do it and to I, I think about myself every morning. I go up at five o'clock. And I'm here by quarter past half past six, and I. I think about it, and it's a, such a healing process for me, so cathartic. I'm so blessed that I can go down that avenue that a lot of people mm. don't have that avenue to go down, or they think I'm mad. <laughs> Let's face it. Either way. Hey, Who would want to bloody build a house in that? Why the hell would you want to stay there and build it? But look at this. It's gorgeous. Look at this. Yeah, it's pretty hey, impressive. We're right on the edge of the Conjola National Park, and as a kid I've spent, you know, so much time here and um, – just some memories, just the family and friends' memories. And before we wrap up today, I'm just keen. So, if you were a real estate agent, how would you sell this house to someone in terms of take us through what you've done here? You've got a pretty expansive view, but we've got big glass windows. What are some of the key features, I guess, as we sort of, um, if we were to walk through the house now with our listeners, how would you sort of describe, I guess, how this house is built and what sort of how it looks from from outside? Well, obviously, um, for our listeners online, can visit our website, meandmyselfdisaster.com, and check out our YouTube channel for the video, but how would you describe in a couple of minutes in terms of what this house looks like for those listening, driving their car about what we've got here in front of us today? Probably the the most important feature to me about this house is that once I finish it, I won't have to touch it again. Mm. There is no paint in the house. There is no tiles. There is no grout. There's no gyp rock. There's no skirtings. There's no architraves. All the things, my little handyman business that I do, I'm constantly fixing things in people's houses. And as I'm bent over on my poor old knees <laughs> trying to trying to fix a tile or regrout something or fix a window or or trying to clean city designed houses, clean gutters in these areas, I keep saying to myself, that's exactly what I'm not having in my house. So yeah. the, the the really interesting thing for me is once I put a product up on the the internal walls. It might be an expensive product, but I put it up and I don't have to touch it again. All the internal designs and the internal finishes are all materials that need no maintenance. Mm. You know, no painting, no repairing gyp rock, no everything is solid. It's function over form, as we've discussed before. And I find the more expensive materials you use in building, the more delicate they become the more careful it has to be yeah i'm building this house so it can be just take the knocks and scrapes just like me and have the scars <laughs> and have the wrinkles but it doesn't need maintenance yeah it's like a dream house <laughs> <laughs> he sold us the dream <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and it'll be up for sale next week and i think andrew you're a perfect candidate and we can walk you through that <laughs> i won't be selling it my boy's on the threat of death <laughs> before uh we finish up i just want to uh, from andrew and myself is just say thank you webby i know um you know this is this has been a tough journey for you but mm. i just want to thank you that you've trusted andrew and and myself to to tell your story and to be part of your story and as i said we feel like we're part of the webby family now but we just want to say a big thank you because we know that you've obviously been through a journey and allowing us to come in here and, and talk with you and share your story to our listeners thank you we really do appreciate it and hoping that you know others can learn others can model what you're doing and and together you know we can change 
change that culture of yes. the building industry moving forward. Yeah, I used an excellent analogy in an interview a couple of months ago, and one of the things that I, I th- I'm, I'm so adamant about or so passionate about, I won't say adamant, is that you can't take a city house and build it mm. in a bush environment. And the analogy I use, you don't take a Porsche K and take a four-wheel driving. Yeah. You know, you don't have a streetcar and take it in the bush for driving. You've got to build houses that work with the environment. Yep. You've got to build a house in the city that works in the city environment and you've got to build a house in these regional disaster areas that work with the environment. You can't change the environment. Yep. But you can build, live and work with it. And I think that's the that's the main thing I think about when I when I've designed and and um, constantly moving forward with this um, this build. We've got a and that's what our education and thank you to you guys for having the podcast, for educating people moving forward because without you guys, they won't hear what I have to say. You know, so you're doing. You're a major part of the Webby, the Webby family, the Webby Walk family, and the construction of the house. And it's very, very important that we get Love that it. message through. Definitely. Well, I'd offer to come help and uh, paint or rebuild, but whenever I try and help Josh's house, it's like that's terrible. Your quality's rubbish. And so... yeah, don't invite Andrew over to help you renovate. <laughs> but Webby, thanks so much for having uh, to join us on the show today. It's been great being here on the block and sort of actually taking the time out to understand what you're building, what the Fortis House is, and what it means for like. Conjola, because particularly here, um, this is a community rebuilding and recovering continuously, so it's going to take some time, but it's really good to see that this is sort of innovative and building um, technologies, actually making it into, into reality, which is awesome. For our listeners online, you can check out our website for more at meandmyselfdisaster.com or follow us on social media and check out our YouTube channel for all the details in a video as we take a tour of uh, through Webby's house. Greg Webb, thanks for joining us on Me, Myself and Disaster. Been an absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you. Let's come and have a look at the house. Definitely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do it. That's all we have time for on the show today. Join us again next time as we talk to more interesting guests from across the world about their experiences during disasters. We'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to Me, Myself and Disaster. Subscribe today at memyselfdisaster.com. 